right, good morning, everybody. Got pretty good crowd here. I was going to say pretty good looking, but then I looked out there and seen VJ. You ruined it. You ruined it. That's all there is to it. Uh, got a couple things to read here. Uh, so this coming Thursday is uh, Monday, Thursday. So we're going to have church 7 o'clock this Thursday night. Uh, we'll have a uh, small service, and then we'll... Uh, we will recognize and honor uh, communion together. It'll be the first time in over a year that, that this church has been able to do it together. So it'll be this Thursday night, and it will be a, a, a safer method than what we're used to. It won't be a couple people handing it out. Um, you all have your own individually wrapped um, communion cups and wafers as well. So don't you guys don't don't uh, flip out <laughs> when we when we talk about this. We're not sharing the cup and we're not breaking bread together. It's all safe and individually wrapped. Uh, the next Sunday, a week from today, uh, is Easter, my favorite. Uh, so we'll have breakfast at 9 and preaching at 10. Um, and it is the first Sunday, as Keith was telling me a while ago. It seems like we have more first Sundays right now than ever. It's just like every time we come to church, we've got to have a business meeting. Uh, but we're going to postpone the business meeting until the following Sunday, um, so not to interfere with, with our uh, fellowship that morning. Um, and I guess... Lord willing, February, or February, here I am, <laughs> April, April 7th, which will be the first Wednesday in April, I uh, think we're, we're going to come back, is that, we're going to come back to Wednesday nights, uh, starting April 7th, start at uh, 7 o'clock, so we'll start having our, our uh, Bible studies with the kids and the adults on April 7th, and this is new, this is something uh, just throw out there for everybody, kind of get a feel, we got plenty of time, uh, we've got a few weeks anyway, April 25th. Um, do the youth or do the whole church <laughs> we're going to try to since we can kind of get out and do a little bit more over the, <laughs> they put that right in the way didn't they <laughs> uh, uh, we're thinking about getting a group of us the youth or just the whole church in general and just run up to Grandfather Mountain after church on uh, April 25th and just kind of having a time out in the uh, just kind of stretch your legs a little bit. I know they've got to have numbers, so we got to we got to register, and then uh, I don't know what they're doing about um, masks and stuff like that up on the mountain. They, they are wearing masks on the mountain, um, so if y'all want to see me have a panic attack, everybody better better get in, get involved. Uh, but it'll be April twenty fifth. If y'all would like to go, uh, just as a group, uh, just families or whatever, let James or Tabitha know. We'll kind of get a head count, and uh, it's not. I mean, we're going kind of as a church, but it's not like church function we just kind of go as a group together and, and just kind of have a, a time we hadn't got to be together much here lately and I thought that might be a good way be outdoors anyway if it don't rain and it's cheap I mean that's really the main reason it's cheap it's dollar days and I'm, I'm pretty cheap myself um let me read this this little card right here and this is from Miss George it says the kindness of of others is a genuine reflection of the kindness of God it says, thank you, words cannot express how grateful I am to receive the piano from the church. Uh, it has been a very difficult year for me, but God was always there and I have truly been blessed. I thank everyone for their prayers, and that's from Miss Georgia. Uh, so, again, if y'all didn't hear last week, we've got a, a piano from Miss Georgia out in the fellowship hall, and as soon as she gets moved into her house, we'll get it moved out there for her so she can keep tickling old ivory. All right, if you got your Bibles, uh, turn over to Luke chapter 24. I know we've got a lot to pray about, and I've got some stuff we'll talk about after the church service, but uh, for y'all that are kind of keeping up with Sage, uh, and if you didn't understand what was going on last week, Sage has a kidney stone, and it's, it's, not, it's, it's in there, and they can't get it out right now because they can't get, um, get through the bladder the tube that connects the bladder and the kidney is too narrow for them to go in and remove the stone so they went in and put a stent around the press it down and they're hoping that this coming thursday that they'll be able to go in and again go back in and try to remove that stone so if you've had a kidney stone before you know what sage is going through and for a young lady to be going through that right now uh, Andrea texted me this morning and told me that she's on some medicines, but she doesn't want to take the medicine. She's just going through the kind of not really suffering through the pain, but she's she's taking it like a trooper right now. So um, just keep praying for Sage this week as she tries to find some relief, and then we'll let y'all know Thursday by Thursday night at church service. She should have a, 
answers, and hopefully she'll have a kidney stone in her hand and not in her kidney, I hope. Uh, again, we'll be over in, in Luke 24. So we've, this is the, the last, the final part of the four-part series on the, the, the journey, the road to Calvary. And you're probably thinking, why is he ending it a week prior to Easter? It's because we've got something even bigger to talk about on Easter. But we're going to, what we looked at to start off with was the triumphal entry. Remember, we talked about Jesus riding in on the donkey and, and all that took place there. And then the next was uh, the supper, the, the Passover supper that he ate with his disciples that, that, that Monday, Thursday, that, that Thursday before uh, the crucifixion. And then last week we looked at the crucifixion. Now, the, today we're going to look at the resurrection. So this is this is the big thing. This is a, this is what Christianity is hinged on. Yes, the the the, the virgin birth is great, and the and the crucifixion, the death, you know that's that's part of it as well. But now we're going to look at the resurrection. This is where rubber meets the road for Christians. This is where it all takes place because of this resurrection. We're going to be resurrected as well. Those of us that have been. Uh, have uh, placed our faith and trust in Jesus, we will have that resurrected body. As Keith was talking about uh, earlier in, in the lesson there, we're going we're gonna, to, we're gonna, our bodies are going to rise, we're going to meet in the air, and we're going to go on to heaven, and we're going to be with Jesus forever. And that's, that's where this is coming from. So this morning we're going to look at the resurrection. And uh, I've, I picked a few things out from another Easter service I preached years ago, and I don't know if I preached it here or not. I don't think I did. But I picked out a few things from a, a sermon that I preached years ago that tie right into this right here. And one of the things that we talk about, and I know I mentioned this here one time, one of the things that, that our children are taught and that we have kind of got in our minds is if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. That's one of the things that we tell our kids. If it sounds too good to be true, more than likely it is. And we're seeing that more and more and more in our lives right now and in this world. And the world just keeps pushing that at us. We, we have been so caught up in these promises that we don't trust anyone anymore. It's so hard for us to trust people. And it's getting even harder nowadays to trust people. They will fail you. People let you down. People have always let others down, but it seems like it's just getting worse and worse. It's that uh, the morale, or what was it you were talking about? And what was it? Morals. Yeah, there is none. Morals, there's none whatsoever. It's, and, and it's... Yeah, it's, it's, it's our fault. It's, it's the parents' fault. It's the grandparents' fault. But, folks, it's the church's fault, too. This lack of morals is our fault. When we look at the things that are, are getting passed through, uh, through our school system and, and through other places in the country right now, the church has, has yet to stand up. If the church would stand up and stand up biblical morals, biblical principles, biblical standards, we wouldn't be in the boat that we're in right now, but it's because the church hasn't, we've become, and I know I say it often, but we have become the minority, because we've just kind of sit back on our heels and we're not doing anything right now, yet there are no morals anymore. So our children are not understanding. They're not getting it anymore. And so they're letting things slip by that, that back in the day we would never let go or let by. So we don't trust anyone anymore. What we need to understand, though, about morals, about promises, let me back up, not morals, but promises. Yes, promises uh, will be broken, but God has never made a promise that he has ever broken. I might sound like a brokered record because I keep saying this pretty often, but it's because somebody needs reminded constantly, God don't break promises. When he makes you a promise, when he says, I'm going to do this for you, if it is written in the word of God and he says, I will do this for you, he will do that for you. So he keeps making these promises and making these promises and making these promises, but he keeps fulfilling and fulfilling and fulfilling these promises. And that's one of the things we'll talk about today is the promises that he has made us through the resurrection of his son, Jesus. This world is full of promises. Y'all get these? Oh, this drives me crazy. Y'all get these little email advertisements? Oh, it drives me up the wall. If you will buy this product, if you will buy this, you will be the richest person in the world, you'll have the best-looking hair in the world, or your teeth will be the whitest in the world if you will buy this product. It's a promise. They're making you. It's a promise. Well, guess what? That's a lie. Most of the time, that is a lie that we get. It is a lie. They're just trying to draw you in and draw you money. And, all you, and if you ever respond to one of those, it seems like your emails just blow up. You just keep getting more spam, more spam, more spam. But it's, it's the promises that they're, they're making us, saying that you'll look better, or you'll sing better, 
or you'll drive better or whatever it is if you'll just get this product well we get lied to so much and, and at some point we finally just give up and we just we just we just give up we just stop I don't want to talk to nobody else I'm not going to buy anything else they've burnt me so many times I'm just not going to do this anymore I'm over it God don't work that way God makes us promises and he continues to make promises for us and he's going to get us through it. God is not some spam email. God is not some advertisement that you get in the mail. God is not some advertisement that you see on the television. Those commercials that we see all the time. Use this shampoo and you'll get fluffy hair. That's not how God works. God says, or what God says, God does. And he always will. And he's going to stand by those promises. So instead of promises that were that will be broken, that were made on Easter. What we're going to look at today is promises that he fulfilled on Easter. And he made some good ones. And he's still, he's still answering them. And he's still coming through with those promises. If you've got your Bibles open to, to Luke 24, stand with me just a moment. Luke 24, verse 1. Luke 24, verse 1. The Bible says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came upon the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and uh, certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you, when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered this, or his words, and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we start this glorious morning, as we were a week ahead of schedule on this Easter service, but Lord, I couldn't wait. Lord, we just want to uh, thank you for this resurrection that we're going to uh, look at this morning. We want to thank you for this empty tomb, this borrowed tomb that your son only used for just a few short days. Lord, thank you for rolling the stone away. Lord, thank you for uh, the salvation that has come from that empty tomb. Lord, thank you for allowing us uh, this Sunday, Lord, to look at so many different aspects of the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that it would touch someone Lord, I pray it brings hope, it brings uh, peace. Lord, I hope this morning whatever's said and done would bring joy to someone's heart that may be struggling this morning. God, we thank you for where you've been with us this week. Lord, for so much good news that's come down the pike for uh, these people that have struggled with health issues this week. And Lord, where you have, you've stepped up and Lord, you've just amazed us. And Lord, I do want to continue to pray for Sage and give her some peace uh, throughout the next few days as uh, she prepares for her surgery uh, this Thursday. Lord, just uh, be with her, be with Andrea and Jerry as well as uh, they try to comfort her the best they can. Lord, again, thank you for allowing us to come back to your house this morning to worship. And Lord, I pray you bless those that are present and those that are listening. And Lord, I pray that all that takes place today would just bring you praise, honor, and glory. I listen in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Thank you. We'll be turning Ethan loose preaching here before you know it. I hope you took a lot of notes from your grandpa. <laughs> First thing we'll look at this morning, the empty cross shows us the promise of forgiveness. Yeah, we're going to look at the cross first. So that gives us the, a promise of forgiveness. I like forgiveness. I love the feeling that you get when somebody forgives you. Even if you don't think you've done something wrong, if somebody comes up to you and says, I forgive you, for, for what you said, or I forgive you for what you've done, and, and it, just that feeling that you get. But I also like the feeling that you get when you, give, when you forgive somebody. I'm sorry, I said, VJ, I'm sorry, I said, you look funny. I can't believe I said that behind the pulpit. <laughs> but it don't it feel good when you forgive somebody. I'm so sorry for what I said. I'm so sorry for what I did. 
and we talk about these burdens, these loads. When you say, I'm sorry, when you forgive somebody and you feel lighter, you do. You walk away. It's almost like you float away whenever you forgive somebody for whatever you've done to them. It's a good feeling, and we want to feel like that. Now, we're going to look at the, the forgiveness here. If you want to go back, just verse 1 real fast. It says, Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. Now, if you go back to that resurrection morning, you go back to that Sunday morning when this took place, when, when the women were on their way, they had prepared their spices, they were getting ready to go anoint the body of Jesus. Not just the body, but it was a, at the time would have been a decomposing body. Uh, they wasn't allowed, of course, the day before was a Sabbath, so they, they're not allowed to be around the dead. Jews are funny people. Jews don't take kindly to dead bodies. They don't, they don't like dead bodies. They don't like to be around dead bodies. And I'll be honest with you, I've spent this week doing a lot of research on Jewish funerals. Because Jews fascinate me. Just, I, just, I love the Jewish tradition and the heritage that goes with it. And I had a, a lady this week, I was driving the school bus for Cove Creek School. I was driving the, uh, the special needs bus. So I had a, a bus monitor with me so she could help corral the youngins, and she's a Jew. And uh, we were talking, and just because as a two-hour, two as a two as a, as the worst bus route that there is in Watauga County, it's two hours, and you go between Cove Creek, Bethel, Fosco, and all the way up Romanger Road, up Charlie Hicks Road. It's, it's awful. It's a long trip. So me and this girl, we just got talking, and she's done her internship up here at Avery High School. And uh, she was, she loves it up here. And she said, uh, this before I knew she was Jew, she said, you know, that group up there in Avery, that's a religious bunch. I said, they love Jesus, I know that. And she said, yeah, I'm Jew. <laughs> that's the way she said it, I'm a Jew. And <laughs> I said, I want to say I'm sorry, but I said, so I, but I was fascinated in it. And I said, well, you, first words out of my mouth, you ever been to Israel? And she said, yeah, I've been a couple times. So we got to talk about that. And and uh, so with that conversation I had with her and then with what we're preaching on today, I got to looking up a lot of things about Jewish tradition. And the Jews, they, they put their dead in the ground within a day. I mean, they die, and when I say they stick them in a pine box, they really do stick them in a pine box. They do not buy nice coffins, even though they're Jewish and they got millions of dollars in their account. They're going to put them in a pine box, and they're going to bury them. They're going to wash them seven times with warm water, and then they're going to rinse that off, never flip them up. I, that's one of the things. They never flip a dead body upside down. And then when they do bury them, uh, they'll, uh, they clean them up real good. They put them in a white shroud. They put the prayer cloth around them. They cut the 12 little uh, strands off the prayer cloth, and uh, they mourn for seven days. For seven days they mourn. If it's a parent that has passed away, then the children mourn for a year. Back in the day, though, after that one-year mark, they would go dig their parents up and get the bones out of the coffin and put them in a bone box and rebury them, and that was the end of the morning for them. I mean, y'all, this, this stuff is amazing if you really dig into it. it. has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm getting ready to tell y'all, but it just fascinates me. But anyway, so they were on their way to anoint the dead body of Jesus and when they anointed it it was because it was decomposing and again they didn't use coffins back then they they had the caves and that's where Jesus was buried was in this cave his tomb and so he was rotting and they had to go in and they had to anoint that body to to knock down the smell of this decomposing corpse and so on their way there they're talking and if you've ever talked you know around the time that you're burying somebody or someone has passed away it's a mournful uh conversation that you have between one another it gets mournful so the, just imagine these women walking with all these spices you know they're estimating it to be close to 100 pounds of spices that they're toting with them so you got several women uh, carrying these spices and aloes and things to put on the body and they're talking and it's mournful and then they get to this hill and when they get to this hill they look across and boom there's the crosses they get to the top of this hill and all they see are these three crosses and it's a reminder of the crucifixion that took place a few days prior to that. And so it breaks their heart. It's a reminder of the death of their Jesus. It reminds them of the crucifixion, of the brutal crucifixion that took place with their Jesus. And they, they, they just kind of break down. They lose it. 
can you imagine that reminder? And I have the same, it happens to all of us. There's always these places in our lives that bring back some tragic memories. There are places where, been on the fire department for so long, there's places, especially on roads, that I've been where there's been a fatality taking place. And I drive by that, that place and it always brings back the memory. I have flashbacks of that scene. One of the worst ones that I drive by every single day that I go to work is the 105 bypass where the, the apartment complex burned and killed those three little girls. Every day I drive by there, every day I see them three little girls laying on the pavement. Every day I drive by that driveway, I can hear the mom screaming at the top of her lungs. We all have these places in our lives that remind us of some tragedy. And these three women, or three, these women see these three crosses up on a hill, and it reminds them of a tragedy that took place. But they ain't ready for what they're about to experience. When they see that, I believe after they left that sepulcher and they went running back, I don't think they looked at the cross anymore. I don't think they ever looked back to that cross because that cross was empty, and so was that tomb. And they had something to rejoice about, and they went, when they went running back, they probably, their hearts were just full, and they were singing, and they were shouting because it was true what he told us. It was true what he had been preaching all this time, what he had taught us. It is true. He is who he said he is. And so they're rejoicing, and they're shouting, and they're just all ready to tell the world what's taking place. So they never look back at that cross because that cross is empty. Folks, that cross is still empty. There ain't nobody hanging on that cross. And there ain't nobody ever going to have to do it again. It's done. It's over with. And it, that cross at the time was a reminder of a tragedy that took place, but not anymore. They're not worried about it anymore. And so one thing I want y'all to remember, and this is, this is tough. It's really hard for some people, I guess. Don't you ever, ever believe Anyone that tells you that Jesus was faking it, that this whole thing was false, was fake. Don't let anybody ever, ever tell you that, yeah, he died on the cross, but that was it. There's so much to it. And don't, uh, I've got something I got, I, I'm going to read y'all. I, I love this right here, and, and it's uh, readily available on the Google. So I'm going to read this to you real fast. It's about the crucifixion. And it, this is all true stuff, even though it come from Google, it's still true. Um, I, I referenced it with a lot of my commentaries. Crucifixion sometimes begins with a scourging or a flogging of the victim's back. The Romans used a whip called a phlegrum, which consisted of small pieces of bone and metal attached to a number of leather strands. The number of blows given to Jesus is not recorded. However, the number of blows in Jewish law was 39. During the scourging, the skin was ripped from the, the back, the neck, and the buttocks, exposing a bloody mass of tissue and, and bone. Extreme blood loss occurred, often causing death or at least unconsciousness. In addition to the flogging, Jesus faced severe beating and torment by the Roman soldiers, including the plucking of his beard and the piercing of his scalp with a crown of thorns. So I brought this this morning for you all to see. This is actually a crown of thorns that would have been used back in the Roman days when they, when they crucified Jesus. This is the same, uh, the same uh, and I forgot the briar bush name now, dang. Um, but this is the same thing that they would have put on Jesus' head. This came from Israel, brought this over from Israel. And after church, if you want to look at it, you're more than welcome to. Uh, you're not going to break it, but it will poke you. It's very sharp. So that's not what we look at. That's the pictures we see when we teach the kids, this, this is not what it looks like. Now you understand, that one barb right there gets me every time. When you look at that thing, that's what they pushed down on his head. And if you know much about uh, anatomy, you'll understand that your scalp is thin, and it's full of what they call capillaries, and it don't take much to make it bleed. So they pierced his skin with that crown of thorns right there. Now, after the flogging, the victim was often forced to carry his own crossbar to the execution site. So the crossbar was this cross piece right here, often. Now, they can't confirm or deny if Jesus took the whole cross or just the crossbar, but just, just bear with me. 
crossbar could easily weigh 100 pounds. In the case of Jesus, the record shows that he may have carried his crossbar the distance of over two football fields. In a weak and tormented state, it's no wonder the record establishes that Jesus needed a great deal of assistance. Once the victim arrived at the execution site, the crossbar was put on the ground and the victim was forced to lie on it. A spike about seven inches long and about three-eighths of an inch in diameter was driven into the wrist. So I brought three, these are railroad spikes, so they're about as close as we're going to get to what Jesus may have been pierced with in his wrist and his, in his hand, or his uh, feet. So there's three of those up here, and I can't imagine. I mean, I've hit my thumb driving nails before, but I cannot imagine somebody piercing my skin with something like that. I did shoot myself with a 16-penny pass-load nail one time. Y'all can look at that if you want to, too, just to kind of give you a visual representation of what he had in his hand and his feet. The spikes would hit the area of the median nerve, causing shocks of pain up the arms to the shoulders and neck. Already standing at the crucifixion site would have been a seven-foot-tall post. That's that light pole I was telling you all about last week, uh, called a stops. In the center of the stops was a, a, a crude seat to support the victim. The crossbar was then lifted to the stops, to the top of the stops, and the victim's body was awkwardly turned on the seat so that the, his feet could be nailed to the stops. At this point, there was tremendous strain put on the wrist, arms, and shoulders, resulting in a dislocated shoulder or shoulders and elbow joints. The position of the nail, nailed body held the victim's rib cage in a fixed position, which made it extremely difficult to exhale and impossible to take a full breath. Having suffered from the scourging, the beatings, and the walk with the crossbar, Jesus was described as extremely weak and dehydrated. He was probably losing significant amounts of blood. As time passed, the loss of blood and lack of oxygen would cause severe cramps, um, uh, spasodemic contractions, and probably unconsciousness. Now, here's the last part. Ultimately, the mechanism of death and crucifixion was suffocation. To breathe, the victim was forced to push up on his feet to allow the inflation of the lungs. As the body weakened and pain in the feet and legs became unbearable, the victim was forced to trade breathing for pain and exhaustion. Eventually, the victim was, uh, would succumb to, the, to, his, to this way, becoming utterly exhausted or lapsing into unconsciousness so that he could no longer lift his body off the stops and inflate his lungs. Due to the shallow breathing, the victim's lungs would begin to collapse in areas causing hypoxia. Due to the loss of blood from the scourging, the victim formed a respiratory acidosis, resulting in an increased strain on the heart, which beats faster to compensate. Fluid would also build up in the lungs. Under the stress of hypoxia and acidosis, the heart would eventually fail. Regardless of the actual medical cause of final death, the historical record is very clear. Jesus suffered numerous hours of horrible and sustained torture on the cross at Calvary. That's, I know it's a lot to read to you. I don't, most people don't get very graphic at, at, at Christmas. I'm sorry, that's graphic too if you're in childbirth. But they don't get graphic when it comes to the crucifixion. It's graphic. If you've seen The Passion of the Christ, it's graphic. It is that graphic. I think they nailed it, honestly. I think they really got it pretty close to accurate after studying And I love to study this. I'm fascinated with it because it's my Jesus. We sing the songs about the, the pain and the suffering of him dying. We sing it. But until you really look at the record, you really look at what he went through on the cross, it just, it's just another song. But when you really study it and you see that he did go through so much for us, it makes you love him just a little bit more. And you respect him. you got more reverence for him just a little bit more because of what he went through for me and what he went through for you. So anytime you hear somebody say, it's fake, you say, well, the preacher just read me something, and I believe it. No, that wasn't out of the Bible, but it's really close. What, what, was, what I just read you is from biblical accounts. They just kind of compiled it together. There's no question that he was dead, and the Roman soldiers knew it. Guess what? The Jews knew it. So the soldiers knew it, the Jews knew it, so what did they do? They got together and said, hey, let's lie about it. We're just going to lie. We're just going to make up some fib. We're just some tall tale. And then we're going to say that 11 fishermen came over and just stole his body. They whipped the Roman soldiers. They rolled the stone away. They stole his body and took off with it. That's what we're going to tell people. Folks, you ever met a fisherman before? They're not the beefiest guys in the world. 
I don't think they're going to take a bunch of Roman soldiers on and whoop them. And I'm pretty sure that they're not going to be moving a stone out of the way that was put in place by a bunch of horses. It ain't fake. Guys, this ain't fake. This is real deal stuff right here. My Jesus died on that cross. He suffered and died. And yes, he was buried. And nobody stole his body. He was alive and well. Some heavenly something. Everybody, everybody debates this, whether it was God or an angel, rolled away the stone. It was rolled away. That's what matters. That stone was moved, and my Jesus is alive and well right now. He died on that cross, and it's the place where he died. But that place where he died is empty right now. I've been to Golgotha. I've seen the skull. I know what it looks like. My Jesus still ain't, he still ain't there. It's been over 2,000 years since he died. He ain't there. He ain't there. He's at home. He's in heaven with the Father right now. It's empty of Jesus' body, but it's full of God's promises. It's full of hope for every single one of us. When I see that cross, not, not just cross, when I see an empty cross, when I look up there and I see no one hanging on it, my Jesus ain't there right now, that gives me hope, knowing that he's at home with the Father. And that's one of those promises he made us. He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. He couldn't go prepare a place for us if he's still on the cross, could he? No, he can't. He's not on that cross. He's not in that tomb. It's because he's at home with the Father. And he's preparing me a shed out back behind the mansion somewhere. I know what he's doing for me. And I know he's not going to break that promise. Not one person. I want y'all to, to understand this. Not one person in the Bible, not Moses, not David, not Paul, not Timothy, not David, Isaiah, it doesn't matter, not even Buddha or Muhammad. Not one person lived a perfect, sinless life and offered to give up their body for sacrifice for us. Not one person. Jesus was it. That was it. Acts 4.12 tells us there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is none. I don't care where you look. Google it all you want to. You ain't going to find one. It's only Jesus. I'm going to read it again. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I love that. So Jesus' blood was shed for our salvation, for my salvation, your salvation. That's why it was shed for us. And he went through a lot of pain and torment for us. Before the cross, God could have he could open up his book. He could have grabbed his, he could have grabbed that Lamb's Book of Life there, and he could have went down through there and started finding out names, finding all these names, and he could have said, "Hmm, there's Mike Turbyfield, guilty of sin. There's Jonathan Vance, guilty of sin. There's James Horney, guilty of sin." He could have went through that book and called out every single name this church and everywhere in the U.S. and the whole world, and beside all of it, he could have just easily put guilty of sin. But because of that Friday when he died on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross on that Friday, Jesus took and transferred your name. If you are saved by God's good grace, he transferred your name to the Lamb's Book of Life, and it says forgiven. Now it says Mike Turbyfield, forgiven. It says Jonathan Vance, forgiven it says james horny forgiven that's what it says i'm guilty of sin but i'm forgiven of that sin so i'm very thankful that that cross is empty and that tomb is empty because of what he done for us number two the empty tomb shows us the promise of eternal life now we're looking at the tomb i love it i love that it's a promise of eternal life. Look at verse 3 again. It says, And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus, and it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and as they were afraid, and bowed down their faces to the earth, and they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He said, He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of a sinful men, 
and be crucified and the third day rise again. I've told you all this story before. I've got to tell it again because I love it. This right here puts it in perspective for every one of us. Dad, son, riding down the road, bee flies in the car. The boy is severely allergic to the bee. Cannot take a bee sting. He goes in that anaphylaxis shock really fast. So he panics. What does dad do? Does he pull over? No. Does he roll down the windows and smack it out? No. Dad reaches over and grabs the bee so that his son will not be stung. A little bit later, dad opens his hand up. The bee flies away, still flying around in the car. Boys, he's panicking. He's, he's flipping out. Dad, I can't get stung. I might die. What does dad do? He reaches over and he lays his hand open and he shows his son the stinger in his hand. He said, don't worry, son, I took the sting for you. Y'all know anything about bees? Once they sting you, unless it's a yellow jacket, them honeybees, they sting you once, they're dead, ain't they? Mike, yeah, that's my favorite bee. The dead ones. <laughs> Things make good honey, but they're a pain, <laughs> literally. But he said, I took the sting for you. And he showed him his hand. And there's that stinger. There was the stinger. To those who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, death lost its sting. There is no sting with that anymore. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 tells us, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. That empty tomb is the promise that we will be raised to eternal life. Jesus was raised. We will be raised. That is a promise. I'm not making you that promise. I'm telling you what the Bible says. That's a promise from God himself. He will raise us again. It's no longer, death is not anything that we should fear. We really shouldn't fear it. I know that it does cross our minds every now and then. We, we do think about death. And I don't think of death in a scary way. It's just, it's, you know, if I go before my family, it's, it's how are they going to be? You know, I've, I have feelings for them. I don't like to see people in mourning. I don't like to see people losing loved ones. Those, those, it hurts. It hurts really bad, and it takes a long time, if ever, to get over it. You don't really get over it, but to, to heal from those wounds. But I don't fear death. I don't fear it. To me, when we go, that's just like smacking the devil in the face. That's like, that's like a, a, a parting gift from us. When we go on to be with Jesus, we just laugh at the devil, just pop him and go on, because he ain't got control over us. Because of what Jesus did on that cross and what he did when he left that grave for each one of us. One day death's going to be surprised because it ain't going to have nothing to do with me. I'm going to truck right on into heaven and I'm going to grin from ear to ear. I'm going to make the devil mad again. Jesus defeated death when he rose from the grave. The grave. Robed in white. I meant to get a robe down from upstairs and forgot it. Robed in white. You just, I just, I just picture him going on. But he was clothed, and he was holding some keys when he took off. And he, I bet he shook him. I bet he shook him right in the devil's face. Look what I got. You got nothing over us. You got nothing over us. Took them keys. So when he took those keys to. Death and hell, they give me a promise that I'm not going to have to face death. I'm not going to have to face eternity and hell because he took the keys with him. And because I put my faith and trust in him, I know where I'll be. Revelation 1.18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. One day I'll live forever in heaven because of that empty tomb. One day. One day. I look forward to that. Number three, the empty grave clothes promises us a personal relationship with Jesus. We've talked about that a lot here lately, having that promise of that relationship that we have with Jesus. I'm very thankful for that. So y'all know, after church, don't mess with Paisley. She has uh, 
what'd you call it? <laughs> impetago? She has impetago. And she's contagious. That's why she's been in the corner. And that's <laughs> just don't mess with her after church, okay? Please. Keith, you can pick on her all you want to. Just don't touch her. <laughs> Look at verse 12 again. It says, Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulcher. And stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wandering in himself at that which was come to pass. The cross and the tomb couldn't hold him. And I've said this before, and I'll say it till I die. Them burial clothes was a waste of time. What a waste of time. They wasn't needed because they're for dead people. My Jesus ain't dead. What a waste. I know they was following tradition. They had to wrap him in. They had to put the, they were supposed to put the spice. He was anointed. Y'all know that. He, Nicodemus had anointed him prior to this. After he died, they put him in the tomb. Nicodemus come through and put about 100 pounds of, of, of uh, spices and aloe on him. So he had been anointed once, but now the women had to go do their thing. <laughs> what a waste. They had to tote all that stuff over there for no, I bet they left it. I bet they just kicked it off the bank. Just let it go. I don't need it. I don't need it no more. Just let it go. Jesus was alive. He had skin. He had bone. He had breath. He had everything that we've got. He had it because he was alive. He was with us. He talked. He touched. He loved. He hugged. He done everything that he did prior to that because he was alive. He is still alive. He did it that day of the resurrection, and he's still doing it today. Nothing's changed with Jesus. After 2,000-some years, he said, man, this, he's not sitting up there saying, man, this is getting old. I'm getting tired of this. He's still loving us. He's still hugging us. He's still taking care of us because that's what he does. He takes care of us. That empty burial clothes that we was talking about tells us that he's alive and he wants to have that personal relationship with us. He left it down there, over there. So he don't need it because he's alive because he wants to have a relationship with us. You ever tried to have a relationship with a dead body? You can't. They don't talk to you. There's nothing there. It's just a hole. You can't have a relationship with something dead. You have to have a relationship with something alive. That's how I know my Jesus is alive because he wants a relationship with each one of us. He's just asking you, will you let me in? He's knocking on that door, on that heart door right now. He's just knocking, and he's waiting for everybody to say, come on in. Come be, come be my Lord and Savior. Come be in my life. That's what he's waiting on. He's not just some fake God up there who shoots down lightning bolts as you mess up. He's not going to make your roof fall in because you missed Sunday one time. He's not the kind of God that some people paint him as. He's not like that Zeus that stuff he was talking about earlier. He's not Zeus up there in the clouds shooting lightning bolts down. He's not. He's not like that. My God loves us. My God loves me. My God loves you. He's not going to make your house fall down. He's not going to throw spears at you when you ain't acting right. It's not how he works. He loves you too much. He went through all that he went through. Jesus did on that cross. For us, for each one of us. He rose from the grave for each one of us, and he left his empty burial clothes for you to know that he is alive. Now, I've been here five years yesterday, and I think this will be the fifth time I've said this, and I don't mind saying it, and I'll say it till I'm dead and gone, because I love the story of the folding napkin. I believe in it. I truly believe this is what happened. I want to read you some scripture. Over in John 20, if you want to follow along. John 20, verse 6 and, and through 8. The Bible says, Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. I love that, and it, this is all Hebrew tradition, and I'll try to say it quick, quicker this time than I normally do. It's about Hebrew tradition, and, and these disciples knew Hebrew tradition, and they knew that it had to do with the servant and the master, and they knew that if the master was sitting there at his table and he was eating, and he had to get up for some reason, and he, had to, to, and he was going to come back, he would take his napkin, 
I'm sorry, if he was done, he'd take his napkin he was using to wipe his beard and his finger with, and if he was done, he'd wad up that napkin, he'd pitch it down on the plate or wherever, and he'd walk out the door. Well, that little bee servant's over there in the corner, and he's hiding out, out of sight, out of mind, probably behind a little bush, and he would keep an eye on that plate and that table. And if he seen the master get up, wad up his napkin, and throw it on the plate, he knew that it was okay to come over here and clean up because he wasn't going to come back. He was done eating. But if that master was sitting there and he was eating, and he'd take that napkin and he'd fold it up nice and neat, and he'd place it down, fold it up nice and neat over there on the corner. That servant would look over there. He'd see that napkin. The servant knew if he could see that napkin folded up that the master was coming back. That's the significance in what we just read in John. Because when, the, when they went in and they seen the napkin folded up, he got a little excited because he said, my master's coming back. He knew he was coming back. He didn't wad it up and fling it down. Everything was nice and neat laid across that, that stone. That old stone bed that they laid the body on, it just is flat. And that napkin was over here to the side. And it was nice and folded back. And Peter got a little excited. He said, oh boy, I know what that means. I know what that means. So the women, they run out excited. You go back over to uh, verse 7 again. It says, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. That's what the angels was telling them. He was reminding them of what Jesus said was going to happen. So that was great. But then Peter walks in and sees the napkin folded. And that's, it. that's just icing on the cake. That ought to excite every one of us. Jesus folded his napkin for us. My master, my savior, my Lord, my king folded his napkin for me and laid it aside. He says, I'm coming back. I will return. Again, he's going to prepare a place for us. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will return. I will come back. I'm not done yet. I like it. I'm coming back. Because of that folded napkin, he wants you to know he is coming back. Now listen to this. And he is still alive. He's coming back, and he's still alive. And because he is alive, he wants you to know him personally. I can't stress that enough. You can't have a personal relationship with a dead body. But you can have a relationship with somebody that's alive, and that's all he's asking. That's all he's asking. And he said, you know what? It's up to you, though. If you want a relationship with me, all you got to do is ask. I can't come barging in. He said, I've given you your own free will. Take it or leave it. But he said, I'm going to knock on that door until you say, go away or come in. Whether it's through salvation or being turned over to a reprobate mind, he said, I'll, I'll come in or I'll go away. You just tell me what you want. He's leaving it up to you. you come in or I'll go away. I strongly encourage you to let him come in. Strongly encourage it. Best thing you'll ever do. Having youngins, getting married, going to college, graduating, whatever it is, that's all great stuff. But folks, having a personal relationship with Jesus is the best decision you'll ever make in your life. I'll promise you that. The promise of forgiven sins, eternal life, and personal relationship with Jesus. That's what we just talked about. It's all yours if you want it, if you'll have it. My question this morning is this. Will you take him at his word? Will you take Jesus at his word? Will you ta- when he says, I will come again, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to return, will you take him at his word? When he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, will you take him at his word? Yes or no? Yes or no? Paul says over in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. Simple faith. Simple faith. All you got to do is call upon the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we look at the emptiness of that cross, I'm thankful. As I look at the emptiness of that tomb, I am thankful. And Lord, as we look at the emptiness of those death clothes, 
I'm thankful. Lord, I thank you for leaving it all here. Lord, I'm thankful that your son, Jesus Christ, is still in the right hand. He's right beside you right now. He's my mediator. He's my God. He is my Savior. He is my Master. Lord, I'm so thankful that you didn't let him stay down here on earth. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful you didn't allow his body to stay inside that tomb. Lord, thank you for rolling that stone away. Thank you for sending those angels to, to bring the good news. Thank you for all the visual things that Peter got and the others got to see inside that tomb that just made them smile and know that he truly is who he says he is. And Lord, I pray this morning as, as we close out the service that you would continue to work in the hearts of those that are here, those that may be listening that, that don't know your son Jesus Christ and that free pardon of sin. Lord, I pray that they continue to feel that conviction. Lord, I pray something that was said today would, would just urge them on a little bit closer. Fathers, we looked at these keys. Lord, I'm so thankful that Jesus took those keys so that I know that I've got eternal life in heaven because I know I place my faith and trust in him. Lord, I pray that today, as we close out, that you would bless us this week. Lord, I pray that each one of us, as we start this week out, today is Palm Sunday, and so we've got seven days now until we celebrate Easter. I pray this week that we would reflect back on the Gospels, and we would read the accounts of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And Lord, I pray that it gets more real for us this week. Father, because our time here is drawing close to an end. God, I just... As me and Brother Ethan is talking about this week, I just feel like that in my lifetime, I believe the rapture is going to hit. I feel like we can't take no more. This world can't take no more. And you're, you're, ready, you're already calling your people out. So, Lord, the only thing left to be the rapture for us. And, Lord, I do pray that before that happens, that each one of us knows in our heart that we have that time, that place, we have that relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. Father, again, I can't thank you enough for this congregation, for their hearts, and I pray, Lord, you bless them for the time here. And, Lord, I just want to thank you again for this message. I'll listen in your son's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Anybody have anything on their heart this morning? I've I got a couple things i got to, to mention before we close. Anybody have anything on their heart before we, we close out? Everybody healthy? Everybody good? You healthy, BJ? Okay, that's good. You feeling better, though? You laying off the bacon? That's what I thought. I'm sitting beside you next Sunday. <laughs> All right, so I had Keith turn the camera off for a few minutes because I, I got to talk. There's a couple personal things I got to talk about real quick. So I got permission from Andrew and Jerry this morning to tell the church what's going on so last week G 